Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right, as is traditional, it's time to look ahead to a brand new Premier League season. Joining me, as he has done for the last number of years, I'm delighted to welcome back from second captains, Ken Early. Hi, Ken. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm all right. How's your summer been? Ah, busy enough. Yeah? yeah. World Cup mayhem? World Cup. Uh, World Cup was very good. Um, uh, yeah, so I've been back since then. Haven't, haven't got away yet, Andrew. Can oh, I, no. I'm going to have to try and... Squeeze that in during the season somehow. Maybe a long weekend during the international break, perhaps. Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, Ireland-Wales, September 6th. That looks like a likely... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a good time to get away. In, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How did you enjoy the World Cup? Uh, it was brilliant. Uh, it was better than I was expecting it to be. Because, you know, to be fair, the last few World Cups haven't been very good. Mm. And... Yeah... And, and this uh, just sort of started well, kept going. It was good right until the end. Uh, a lot of, I don't know, what can I say? I mean, it's weird. Like, because I was there for so long, and now I can kind of, it just feels like a, it feels like so long ago. I mean, when we were there, you know, the third or fourth week, it was like I can't remember my old life. <laughs> all I do now is, all I do now is go around in Russia, um, going to football matches, and yeah. you know, trying to decipher signs in Cyrillic. And I don't remember what who I am or what I used to do. And now it's kind of a bit like that now. I mean, the, maybe I've got dementia. <laughs> maybe it's some kind of early onset dementia. Well, at least we have a digital record of it. Yeah. You know, the start of your decline into, into yeah. dementia. That aside, has it given you, uh, have you had enough time to recharge your football batteries? Because it doesn't feel like this summer has been much of a break between the end of last season and the start of this season, which is... Uh, coming up this weekend, um, yeah, I mean, it just seems to be upon us all of a sudden, even going through the, the nuts and bolts of preseason and, and all that kind of stuff. It has come around very quickly. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't really, I mean, once it starts, maybe. I, mean, I was watching the Community Shield the other day and thinking, I'm not ready for this. Uh, and Chelsea seemed the same. Does it, I mean, does it feel like a lot of the clubs aren't necessarily ready for it because you look at uh, Chelsea have just switched manager Man United are doing whatever they're doing Tottenham still haven't signed a player they still haven't completed their stadium mm. Arsenal uh, made a, uh, a good start to the summer but now there's all this stuff going on with, with Stan Kroenke and, and last minute uh, transfer scrambling to, to try and get a defender in perhaps before the start of the season mm. Manchester City you know did what they did Liverpool have done what they've done but it does feel like there's 
maybe it's to do with the transfer window closing this week as well. We're, yeah. we're speaking on Wednesday before that happens, so just to put this conversation in that context, but yeah. uh, it does feel like there's still an awful lot of stuff up in the air. I don't know. I don't really understand why those things, like the season starting when it starts, which everybody's known for a long time, the transfer window closing when it closes, which everybody's known for a long time. Why should this have been a problem to the clubs in terms of getting their shit together to be ready. Um, I mean, the, the the problem they can't get around is the fact that World Cup players who went to the last weekend, like all the England, Belgium, uh, France and Croatia players, yeah. are only back this week. And, I mean... Well, I mean, the, the, the England players played for Manchester City. Walker and Stones played for Manchester yeah. City. Yeah, so I guess they... Um, I don't know, maybe they've... Because they, that's three weeks after... The three weeks after the World Cup final. I mean, they played the day before. Mm. Um, maybe uh, I don't know. Did Stones? Stone, they they must have stayed with the squad until the end. Yeah, for right? sure. What, I mean, it's not much of a break, is it? Just you know, for, I mean, people talk about the phys- the physical aspect, but players are players are fitter these days, and it's not like they're going away during preseason and getting fat. But at the same time, mm. for your own, even your own psychological benefit to get away and switch off for a few weeks and then come back for the start of a new season yeah. has got to be has got to be important so they, they haven't got much of a break well it could be that they you know are, are, are sort of into it you know I mean I wouldn't expect them to have like lost a lot of fitness or you know they might be keen to go but I think they'll pay they'll pay for it later in the season you know if you if you're not taking a break at this point okay then there must be a break scheduled I mean isn't it a legal requirement or a sort of contractual requirement that they have to have at least three weeks of un- uninterrupted break which clearly couldn't have been the case for England's Manchester City players who played in the Community Shield yeah you know um, so they must have factored in okay Stones is going to be going to you know San, Lu- San Lucia or wherever right. in, in November kind of thing or maybe someone's going to maybe there's going to be a couple of hamstring injuries at international break time I don't know um, but I, I mean if I think of the case of someone like Kevin De Bruyne who okay he didn't play the other day um, he did complain last season yeah. that 10 games you feel great 10 games you feel okay and then you just feel like shit and that's that's you for the rest of the season. Yeah. Well, that's him now. Mm. That's him. That's going to be him at the start of the season, and he's their key player. So, I don't see how that doesn't, you know, affect Manchester City. I mean, okay, if there's any training team who I guess I back to get a player into shape, it's Guardiola's. But but also the the strength that they have in depth to maybe cope without Kevin De Bruyne. They do have. Uh, a really top quality squad as well. Yeah, I don't think they've got anyone. I think, no, I think not you quite. Take, I think you take him out. Mm. It doesn't matter who they put in; they're not as good. Mm. You know, he he does so much for them. So, um, so the fact that he's just you know halfway into his first week of preseason now, or at least that's where he should be, and that's really is three weeks off. You know, getting into matches, so you mm. start developing match fit, fitness. So, what? How many matches is he off? You know, he's He's miles off. So, uh, and then you feel like the question of accumulated fatigue. I don't know. I suppose they've had the chance to plan what they're going to do about this. Probably they were hoping Belgium got knocked out a bit earlier than they did instead of going all the way to the very last weekend. But I think it's, it's not as though they're the only team that have this problem, but he is the best player himself and, and uh, I guess Kante and Hazard at Chelsea who, who uh, yeah. you could see being affected by it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
how do you f- feel like the top six are, are lining up this season? Uh, you could probably last season have made a good prediction as to where the, the, the top six were going to finish. And I think it's a little bit more fluid. I mean, I don't see beyond Manchester City for the title, but yeah. I, I'm not sure. Chelsea to be so bad. I mean, I wouldn't have. They were the champions. Mm. You know, I, would, I would have thought they would at least finish in the top four. Yeah. But the team that actually surprised me by finishing in the top four were Manchester United. So they finished second and was the Tottenham and Liverpool in order. Yeah. With City, who were clearly the best team at the beginning of the season, winning really easily. So as to, I mean, if you're saying it's easy to predict, what what's your prediction? I think City yeah. will win it. I think Liverpool will probably come second. Um, after that, I don't quite know because I think there's so much uncertainty involving mm. Arsenal, involving Tottenham, involving Chelsea and involving Manchester United. Mm. Uh, it's difficult to know who's going who's gonna to get on top of it. I mean, I, I like to think that Arsenal probably have uh, made a good... A good start to the to the summer in terms of the players that they brought in and addressing key issues and bringing in a new coach mm. first and foremost, which is something that um, we've spoken about before. Uh, he's going to require um, some patience, I think. Unai Emery, I think he's got a big job on his hands to to, to get things back uh, on track. But they they seem to be a little bit more ready or a little bit more organised, even with all the other stuff that's going on, mm. um, because they've done business early. The, the thing for Arsenal, whether we can do it between now and tomorrow, is who, who can we move on? Because it's a big, fat squad, you know? There's players mm. in there that, that need to go and haven't yet gone. Mm. Um, so that's where I think the, the issue is in that. But in terms of what he's got available to him, mm. maybe Arsenal are in reasonable shape. Oh, I, it's impossible really to say because mm. I mean I remember seeing I was at the Europa League final when Sevilla beat Liverpool in 2016 and Unai Emery was the Sevilla coach and I was very impressed by their by what they did like they were a team that played really good football but like with a lot of strong guys as well it wasn't like um, a kind of very uh you know, one of these ethereal, technical Spanish sure. teams. They were like big, solid guys who really absolutely destroyed Liverpool in the second half of the game. Um, so I remember thinking, this guy, and obviously they'd won it, this was a couple in a row that they'd won. I mean, this is basically what got him the PSG job, I guess. And then what happened to PSG was not good. I mean, not good. The question with PSG is, is this... Was it not good because... I mean, OK, they, they, they won the league... Uh, in his second season. Yeah. Uh, so, obviously, l- losing the league the first time was not good. Yeah. Uh, and losing to Barcelona the way they did was was particularly terrible. But the second season when things kind of... I mean, obviously, they, they again won the league, but, but or, or rather managed to win the league, but, like, that's... You know, we know that they're kind of a special case. It's only if they don't win, it's a disaster, and if they do, it's just normal. Mm. So, um, the question is whether bringing Neymar in in those sort of circumstances and conditions created an impossible situation for any coach. Yeah, um, it's not a normal club in that sense, is it? You know, with, no. with Neymar not being accountable, probably not being accountable to Unai Emery. Mm. 
because if he wanted to, given the the stature that he has and how important that transfer was from an optics point of view, he could just go above him to yeah. whoever the dude is that, that makes the decisions. Yeah. Um, so mean, that's a difficult thing to, to deal with. Well, Emery, he invited Emery to his birthday party, which he took two days off for. Remember, he, he his Neymar's birthday, like his 26th birthday was in February, and he took... That you know went on for like it was like a couple of days, sort of, of extravaganza, and involved him sitting out a, a cup match. You know, I don't remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was back in it was back in um, I think name was fifth of February, so it was around that sort of time. And he invited Emery along to stand there like a prick at this event that shouldn't have been happening, but was happening because it's Neymar, uh, and like no other player gets to have. Uh, a party, not even Yaya Toure gets to take a day, take a match. It doesn't even get a for cake. birthday reasons. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's you know, you see Mourinho moaning about Marcel missing preseason training because of, he's just had a baby. Yeah, like missing a match, even if it's only a French Cup match, because you want to have a birthday for party. A birthday party. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, not even a child wouldn't do that. A child would want to play the match. You know, they might, yeah. they'd, they'd want to have a birthday party, <laughs> lots of cake, you know, invite all their friends around and have a really good time. But they'd still want to play the football. But yeah. Neymar, no. So that is a very difficult situation for any manager. I mean, so there was sort of talk coming out of PSG, oh, this guy's weak, this guy. I mean, maybe he's just a realist. Maybe he's just he, he's just a guy who understands the politics of the situation. He's like, oh, well, I've got, I've got a, a, a guy who just does what he wants. And he's the main guy in the team. And he's being indulged by the owners. He's he, he he has got the absolute backing of the owners. I know that I'm just here as this kind of uh, I, I'm nobody next to this guy. Mm. So there's not even any point in me saying oh, I think it's a bit of a disgrace actually what you're doing there, uh, Neymar. Uh, <laughs> 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 this is nonsense. You can't go taking days off, missing matches to have a birthday. Maybe okay. Is that is it weakness that he let that happen? Should he have, should he have maybe quit? I don't know. I mean, I imagine with the sums of money involved, there was compelling reasons not to quit. Sure. So uh, yeah, I mean, I I I actually thought given given how badly things had gone and the way he'd been sort of you know made a fool of in a way by by the whole situation that he was a very, very lucky boy to get the job at Arsenal. Because I think the, the manager Arsenal actually wanted is the guy who's now managing PSG, Thomas Tuchel. I think they wanted him, but couldn't get him because Wenger was still the manager. And then, by the time Arsenal were like, okay, we are, the job is definitely going to be free, Tuchel was like, sorry, I've actually already agreed to yeah. PSG. So, I don't, yeah. so, I'm not sure about how much interest there was in Tuchel. Really, um, I, you know, his name was floated about, of course, because he's just one of the obvious candidates to replace him. But I'm not sure mm. if, if there really was that much interest in him. But yeah, I mean, it was a surprise appointment because everyone was expecting something different um, from Arsenal or PSG. From Arsenal, Arsenal yeah, yeah. Well, everyone Arsenal. was expecting Arteta. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. What, so I mean, that was a weird one because. You rarely get to that level of yeah, just, it's on, it's on. You know, everyone, ah, yeah, it's on, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, it's done, done deal. Yeah, and then oh, it's complete, someone completely different. Well, I mean, I, Ivan Gazidis came out at this press conference and, and said to all the journalists who had been reporting about Arteta for very good reasons, not just that one guy said Arteta and everyone went oh Arteta, and we'll just you know people from various media outlets 
uh, we're reporting it for good reasons. And Gazeta says to the journalists, you know, those who those who speak or those who know don't speak and those who speak don't Don't know, know. you know, talk or speak or whatever it was, you know, which went down, as you would imagine, like a fucking fire in a spacesuit with with some of the journalists there. But, you know, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a surprise appointment, uh, Emery. But on the face of it, if you look at Arsenal and, and where they are as a club right now, it's a Europa League club. It seems to be a Europa League club. It has been for the last couple of seasons. He is a very um, successful Europa League manager, um, and also young enough, perhaps, to um, to develop as a manager uh, and bring the club back to towards Champions League. I think you know. Uh, I've got concerns and worries about certainly the defensive side of of the squad, but um, given the other clubs involved given the record last season and given that it wouldn't take a huge amount to improve Arsenal when you look at the away form last season I think Arsenal have got a good chance of getting back into the top four this season mm. I mean the problem is the Europa League yeah you know it's like the Europa League I mean okay it's English clubs have been doing really well in the Europa League recently I mean Liverpool lost the final Manchester United won it mm. what happened last season was there someone was Arsenal were in the semi-final yeah, last exactly, season yeah, yeah. yeah lost to um, Atletico yeah um, so it is a credible way to get into the Champions League it definitely is for, for an English team so they can't just say okay under 23 competition but they kind of need to do that mm I mean, I mean, do you feel like Europa League progress and top four finishes are a little bit... Um, hard to do yeah, together. Yeah, to achieve together. It can, I mean, it can be done, but it, it is much more difficult. I mean, mm. you, you do, could, I mean, just look at the evidence of the recent, you know, Chelsea winning the league, well, not being in Europe, Leicester winning the league, obviously they weren't in Europe, um, Liverpool a couple of seasons before that, doing really well, Um and it is a huge advantage not to have to play twice as many matches. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's not quite twice, but it is. It's like the Europa yeah, it League stretches is like 20 squad, odd yeah. games. You know, it's, it's, it's like more than half a season again on top of what you're supposed to. Is that, am I still correct in that? It's a lot. Uh, so uh, it seems to me as though at least the first half of it should be a kind of, you know. Yeah. If, I- if these kids can't get us through, then. Oh well, yeah, yeah. It does feel like that's what he's going to do. What Arsene Wenger did last season and and play fringe and, and youth players in in the Europa League. Um, what have you made of of Arsenal's transfer business? Just to sort of uh, put it in uh, to remind you of it, they brought in Bernd Lino, who's the goalkeeper. Uh, Stefan Licksteiner, thirty four year old right back. Socrates Papastathopoulos from Borussia Dortmund. Uh, Lucas Torreira, the Uruguay midfielder, and I'm sure there was one more actually, oh, a young midfielder, Matteo Genduzzi, hmm. uh, and I think I feel like I'm forgetting somebody else as well. Um, there might well have been one more signing in there, but you know, on top of what they brought in last season, for example, Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan in January. Hmm. I mean, how do you, how do you assess the Arsenal squad? Um, well, like I don't, none of the players they've signed are are really. The type where you'd say, "Wow, this is a real this this kind of brings the squad up a level." I don't think mm. that's the case. I mean, Nick Steiner has been a good player for a long time, um, but as you said, he's thirty four. Yeah. Um, 
the same thing with Socrates. I mean, what age is, was he? 32? 30. 30. He's only 30? Yeah. Okay. He's so only he, just turned 30 as well, so. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a unit. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and the guy, I suppose the goalkeeper is maybe the most important, really. I mean, mm. is he going to be a first choice goalkeeper? I would imagine, you know, if you pay 22 and a half million pounds for a goalkeeper, which is a, a lot of money. Um, mm. Well, it was a lot of money until Liverpool came along. Um, yeah. But, for Arsenal, you know, it's certainly the the most they've ever spent on, on a goalkeeper. So mm. um, you'd have to think that that was that was you know a, a purchase made with the idea of him being first choice. Well, he is a German. I remember Jurgen Klopp saying uh, of Karius, "Well, you know, Germany is a goalkeeper country." So mm. that was when he was affecting confidence in Karius's prospects. Uh, I think he's the most important. <laughs> Signing, you know, in terms of uh, if you've got a good goalkeeper, it kind of covers a lot. I mean, look at Man United, you know. Yeah. Um, so you got to wait and see how he does. I mean, he should be, he should in theory be good, but in in theory, so should Loris Karius. Yeah, and he's not. Well, no, no. Poor Loris. It's bad. Yeah, it is bad. Um, Let's talk a, a little bit, uh, and I know you don't normally like to talk about Jose Mourinho, but let's talk, talk a little bit about Jose and the way that he has um, been behaving. I can remember sitting here with you, it must be three summers ago now, yeah. before his final season at Chelsea, and he had already started to to kick off. I think he'd had a little pop at Wenger in the... Community Shields. In the, yeah, there was all kinds of stuff going on. Um and it looked like here we go third season Jose Mourinho yeah. and it sort of felt like okay it's maybe it's a thing maybe it's not a thing but here we are again going into his third season at Manchester United you already mentioned his his behaviour towards Anthony Martial mm. uh, who appears not to have taken that very well mm. himself um, I mean is is it a case simply that the way he man manages is completely and utterly redundant in the modern era, can he instill this kind of fear in players like he likes to, or is he is he just so fundamentally a cunt that he can't help himself? Uh, I don't think he can help himself. Um, I think the cat's out of the bag now. With with Jose, it's a problem for him because um, all the players see all the same stuff mm. um, that everybody else does. Uh, it's not like he can sort of control what gets through to them about him. Uh, he is... I mean, where do you even start? I, he strikes me as somebody who doesn't want to... He, he doesn't give the impression of being much interested in what he's doing. Yeah, it doesn't seem to like the job, does he? No. Uh, he strikes me as somebody who doesn't have any confidence that he can do what he's been hired to do, which mm -hmm. is beat Manchester City win the title you know win the Champions League whatever mm. I don't think he believes that he can do it and I think it, it, from from the way that he goes on mm. I, I can only really judge him on what he does in public the messages that he puts out they seem to be geared to making sure everyone knows it's somebody else's fault uh, so some of the players maybe are are uh, are not uh, in the right shape. You know, right. Tony maybe he had too much holiday. Maybe Anthony Martial, baby's healthy, why is, not, why is he not here? Maybe the board 
uh, you know, Woodward or whatever, he gave him a list of players. This was, He said the same thing at Chelsea, if you remember, the three years yeah. ago. I gave them my list in April and still nothing. You know, we've had this similar situation here. A list of players. Now, I'm sure there's going to be somebody signed in the next 48 hours. I mean, there, there has to be. <laughs> you assume. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he's been saying, look, I've given them this list and maybe I'll get one player. Maybe. What I want and what I will get are two different things. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all about pointing the finger. Mm. It hasn't even started a game yet. Oh, thank God this preseason is over. I wouldn't pay money to see these teams. You know, just like... It's the the only way it makes sense is as an exercise in in blame allocation. So that when things inevitably go wrong, then there's still some yeah. shreds of his tattered reputation that he can use to patch together into some application for his next job. I mean, is it possible that the the fact that he's given them a list and that they haven't provided the players? on this list if you talk about him not having confidence in his ability to do what he's been hired to do I mean is it possible that they're not confident in his ability to do what they have hired him to do and aren't willing to invest hmm. in what he wants hmm. because often when you do that it's like a last throw of the dice if it doesn't work then the new manager is going to come in and say well I don't want that guy I don't want this kind of player I want that kind of player hmm. and maybe they're well, keeping I, their powder dry. A I think you know that with them, you've made your bed. You better lie in it. So buy Jose, Ivan Perisic, buy him. Uh, you know his his uh, experienced players. Buy him players on the biggest wages from the biggest clubs who n- know how to play the game that he doesn't have to teach. That he can just put in there and do the business. Buy them mm. like he bought Madic and like he bought Sanchez because you know you hired him and you knew what he was going to do mm. at least you should have known what he was going to do because this is exactly what he does and he's done it you know the, the last 10 years this is what Jose Mourinho has been doing mm. um, and if you didn't know this about him you shouldn't have hired him so assuming that you're competent which is maybe a big assumption <laughs> but assuming that you are competent then why aren't you why aren't you sort of back in Manchester why is Paris not playing for Manchester United yeah. oh he's you know 30 years old he gets paid a lot yeah like you, you've hired Mourinho these are the types of players that he likes to work with yeah. you know the the, the example well, one thing that I'm a bit puzzled by is that Pogba is still there I don't really see why Pogba is still I mean Pogba is there because the club wants to have a star like Pogba Pogba is like uh this f- absolute phenomenal sort of generator of interest. Mm. You know, as a star, he's a much bigger star than he is uh, a football player. Although he's a substantial football player. I mean, he's just won the World Cup, you yeah. know, scored in the final. This guy's, you know, I'm not, I don't mean to diminish him, but I think no, as no, a star, yeah, he's yeah. even bigger. Uh, and so for, from the point of view of the club, it's like, yeah, you know, we've got all uh, Paul's um, engagements, you know, on side that all sort of factors into our sponsorship deals I mean that's that's what Manchester United Manchester United is run by guys who are selling advertising that's what it is and the reason they hired Mourinho is here we are talking about him now I mean what we talked about Arsenal first and now we're talking about Mourinho because whatever about the football like the the whole other aspect of it is is, is interesting I mean even if it's like a even if it's a third season meltdown you know which lays waste to the club yeah it's still like 
right and up the top of the entertainment of, of, of the agenda. Yeah, it's it's still you you know you're you're. I mean, I watched a Sunday supplement the other day. It was the first thing they talked about. All right, you know what I mean. So yeah, yeah. so simply, he gives you that sort of primacy, even if it's mainly just people rubbernecking at this train wreck. Yeah, which he, uh, I'm, I'm sure people will think that's an over dramatic way to talk about a club that just finished second last year. But, you know, I, I, do you see a big improvement from, from Manchester United? I don't see where it's going to come from. I don't think it's going to come from Jose. Uh, and I don't see where the players, you know, maybe you've got to hope that maybe Rashford develops more. You know, although I haven't seen too much sign of it since Mourinho's been the manager. You know, there's, there's this whole thing. Oh, I play Rashford. Rashford plays more games than anyone. You know, we all know what happened. Rashford sits there. Rashford last season didn't he sit in the bench pretty much between January and then when he scored the two goals against mm. Liverpool <laughs> you know he didn't start Yeah. so like we can all we all sort of know what's going on but I do feel as though United should now they've they've decided to hire Jose they need to go along with it I mean the, the, the when I was talking about Pogba the example that comes to mind of how Mourinho could turn that Pogba situation to his advantage because the situation is clearly himself and Pogba don't, don't really yeah, they, don't don't, get they don't really have a very good yeah. relationship you do not drop a player like Paul Pogba for Scott McTominay in the Champions League and continue to have a good relationship no you don't no, it's just so insulting yeah. it's, it's like you know McTominay you, you know you see how sensitive Mourinho is to any kind of even imagined insult yeah. if he was sitting there as you know Paul Pogba and McTominay is playing again in the Champions League this is, in the biggest match of the season mm. No. So so I think that Mourinho would delightedly have sold Pogba uh, and done what he did with Zlatan at Inter. I mean, he loved Zlatan, and Zlatan was a good player for him, but Zlatan went to Barcelona, and Mourinho went, OK, uh, get it, get me Eto, get me Pandev, you know, who I can't remember all the guys they brought in. Mm. Did they bring in Snyder that year? Was he the, the year before? Can't well, remember. Look, he, he basically turned Zlatan into four or five... Uh, uh, Diego Diego Milito he was one of them I think yeah, yeah. four or five kind of of the type of players he likes you know the 29 30 31 year old players who will just do what he wants and work hard and who yeah. will do it who know who, yeah, who know and, and, he, and who he understands who, who he can fit into a kind of uh, I mean I, I loved watching his World Cup stuff or rather reading I didn't, I didn't actually get to see any of them he was but reading his the stuff that he was saying it was hilarious it was like here is Here's Mourinho giving a Man United press conference in the form of supposed World Cup punditry, <laughs> where he talks about how great Pogba is because he's defending and not kind of venturing much past the halfway line and not getting ahead of the ball and not, you know, yeah. uh, all this kind of stuff. And Perisic, how amazing Perisic is. Look at his qualities. Look at his physicality. Look at the physicality of Perisic. Like when Perisic headed the ball back to um, Mandzukic against England mm. that was like Mourinho's moment of the tournament because if you look at Perisic you know he, he's he's tenacious he's determined he gets stuck in he digs out across when that comes back he digs out the header this is what you want from the left <laughs> this is what you want what you don't want is Marcio you know you don't want Marcio this is Marcio yeah. sure he, he might like be lightning fast with the ball at his feet you know moving the ball from one foot to the other you know smooth elegant beautiful all that but like would he have won that header I don't think so. No. I don't think so. So uh, I do kind of feel, yes, there is, an, there is a case that United should have been backing him more 
like they have done it they've signed Madrid they've signed Sanchez that's their Mourinho signings these are not the type of players they used to sign mm. they used to not sign players of that age on that wages they just never did it uh, you know towards it I mean Ferguson with Van Persie is the, is the one exception yeah um, but if you look at the previous few years very 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 rare for them to do that and here they are so I don't know why they stopped doing it maybe they will over the next couple of days but do I expect even if they did sign Perisic for it to yeah, I mean, it's a really difficult message, isn't it, to to send at the start of a season. If you're complaining about your squad, if you're complaining about not being backed, if you're complaining about the players that you have, I know it's only a pre-season tour, but to say to however many people were at that game in, in the States, you know, 100,000 100, people, because Man United and, and Liverpool, of course, hugely well-supported clubs, but to say, I wouldn't pay to come and see this, you know, it's it's kind of insulting to to those fans as well who go and look at those team lineups and understand that this is not the cream of the Manchester United crop. But, you know, could it be a case that, look, we've got some really talented young players here on this tour, we want to give them a chance, you know, even just to create that kind of uh, illusion, if you like. Mm. But to to sort of talk your team down in that way before the start of a season... uh, uh, it can only be counterproductive. Well, it depends on, on what you are aiming to produce. Yeah. I mean, if you're aiming to produce a, a feel-good vibe around the club and a sense of optimism in the supporters and the and the players, then yes, it is counterproductive. But if you're aiming to produce pressure on Ed Woodward to sign somebody you want, or if you're aiming to produce... Um, among the supporters the impression that this is all somebody else's fault yeah. then it's not counterproductive right, right, because right. if Jose Mourinho had been there saying we've got amazing young players you know they sure they disgraced themselves in the in the in the uh, little league uh, the other because he, he said that as well oh they finished bottom of the league or whatever didn't he about the, the under 23 oh did he say that yeah, yeah he said oh my but gosh. even though they, the, the reason for this was that they they picked a lot of like younger players in order that they could be playing against kind of older players. In right. that, so they weren't expecting to win. You know, this was like sure. it's kind of a policy to try and harden up these young talents. Yes. Yeah. And then they didn't win the league. So and, and so Jose uses it as a way to now if he'd come out and said, all our young players are great. I'm delighted with what's happening in the academy. I've got so many there. It's like 11 new signings. <laughs> then then suddenly, you know, a few weeks into the season, if things aren't going well, people are like, well, what about, you know, where's Twins AB? You know, where, where, what's the, what about these brilliant young players you were, you were bigging up over in Michigan? Yeah, you know, yeah. Why aren't we seeing any of these? And so you've made a, you've made a rod for your own back. In, sure. You know, so, so I think he's, I think it produced what he wanted it to produce. Uh, the players, you know, their careers, I guess, maybe collateral damage, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> that's all not, okay. all not all careers are equal. So. Yeah, very true. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What about Liverpool? Um, who've made some very good signings, I think. Uh, Jurgen Klopp and, uh, you know, even if the, the Champions League final ended in a disappointing way, there does seem to be a... I mean, it's, you know, he's really good at losing finals, Klopp. Yeah. Um, but but even aside from that, there seems to be a really good atmosphere around Liverpool among the supporters, uh, about the prospects of the club, um, maybe not necessarily ready to, to challenge Manchester City or to bridge that gap to Manchester City, but certainly a sense that they're going in, in the right direction. I think they should be ready. I do. I mean, I, maybe I sound a bit like Jose Mourinho now, because that's what that's been a running commentary of his. Oh, you know, you have to expect them. Look, you know, they're buying absolutely everybody. Yeah, uh, you have to expect them to. But I look at the teams now, and I think, well, why not? You know, if, if why why should they have the attitude that that you know they're still miles behind Man City? I'm not sure that they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you go through the through the teams. Um, I think there's quite a few Liverpool players who would play for Manchester City. Probably vice versa is, is true as well, but I don't really see a huge gap. I mean, the, when you look at the the teams, it seems to me that the advantage, the area where City are furthest ahead is the, um, the midfield line, the, the, the third line of the team with De Bruyne and David Silva. Mm. And I don't think Liverpool are at that level in that area of the... Field. I mean, they don't have a midfielder on the Bruyne level, although they're waiting to see if Cato is going to be as good in the Premier League as he was in the Bundesliga. Um, but he'd still have to improve to to be as good as De Bruyne. Um, you know, they've got like you know they've got good players, but I don't think they've got quite that sort of. Um, what we saw from De Bruyne and Silva last season was amazing, you know, mm. and you would expect why 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 shouldn't they? I mean, we, we mentioned some of the concerns. Fatigue. Exactly. And Silva getting a bit older. Yeah, although I don't think he's... I, I kind of think with Silva, he seems very fit to me. He is a kind of another player who... He plays in short distances, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's yeah, not, yeah, he's yeah. not like a guy who needs to be everywhere on the field. You yeah. know? He, he sort of is like you know five yards this way, five yards that way. I don't see why he should slow, be slowing down remotely yet. And... And they've got the sort of system of play. Like those guys are, they just know exactly how to find a player in space. And then that player knows exactly who's going to be in the box and which directions they're going to be attacking from. You know, they were so much better than everybody last season, broke the points record and so on. So they should still be the favourites. But you look at Liverpool and, and you think, well, why shouldn't they also win most of their matches? You know, I don't really see... Uh, yeah, I mean, the, I think the reason that there's this sort of feeling of optimism in Liverpool now has to do also with the way that, say, Virgil van Dijk joined Liverpool instead of Manchester City or, you know, Alisson 
uh, ends up actually joining Liverpool instead yeah. of you know going to Real Madrid. Uh, you know these types of so so it seems as though okay even though they saw Coutinho what, eight months ago maybe he'll be the last one for a while to to do that. You know Salah I think signed a new contract. Firmino signed a new contract. Yeah. Uh, so the players, guys who were doing well for them, aren't immediately going. Well, you know, now that I've caught your attention, you know, come and get me. You know, it, it, which which sort of has been what's happened whenever anyone's played well for Liverpool in the last ten years. It's, it's, it's almost like, uh, mm. well, I've 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 earned my freedom from this place now. <laughs> so so someone can kind of big club now sign me. Whereas they now seem to have reached the point where players are signing up with them for you know if you look at the age of their squad as well it's all very good um, guys who could potentially play together for three or four years yeah. you, you know not that it you know often works out that way yeah. but it does look that way at the moment um, so we see we have to see Van Dijk as well was just a, an immense improvement to the team and now that they've got a, a goalkeeper who's supposed to be very good as well yeah I mean is that, is that your one and two for the season Mm. Well, that is definitely how it looks at the moment, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, you always have to remember Richard Keyes saying, you know, early shout, Everton, finish above <laughs> Liverpool. You know, he said this. It was a couple of seasons ago, wasn't it? That was last season. Was it with Ronald Koeman? Yeah. Yeah. They, they had um, they'd done such impressive transfer business by signing Wayne Rooney. Uh, Sigurdsson, Davy Klassen, yeah, and a bunch of other players who played, who like to play in the same tiny area of the field. <laughs> um, but like, it does. It, it, it everything is sort of looking good. You're, you're kind of waiting for something to go wrong now. Mm. You know, it's like, well, what's gonna? How's this all gonna fall apart? Because it looks, this is the best theme I think they've had in the in the Premier League era. Certainly, mm. you know, if you if you think back to um, the previous. I mean, the 2014 team, nobody was expecting to, to really do anything that, that season. Yeah. The, in 2009, they finished second, and they were one of the strongest teams that year, but they also had obvious weaknesses. Yeah. As Ferguson, I think, said, oh, the trust of their team is all about Gerard and Torres. And that was true. You know, two really good players, but, like, you know, it's, you're looking, it's like Dirk Kout, Albert Riera. Yeah. And, you know, like, the, the quality wasn't even throughout the team whereas now I think they're getting to a point where in almost every position you've got one of the top players in the league so if you've got that then mm. why not win the league mm. well it's a big a big task a big task a big uh, you know to, to get beyond City um, I just yeah I, I, City I, have to do it I mean you know, it's well, like Guardiola said last season uh, when, when they were kind of getting the 17 wins in a row um, and, and you know we're way out in front of like sort of yeah. the last uh, points total, the last record points total. I was like, well, we, you know, I've I've been in this situation before, basically with you know Bayern and Barcelona or whatever, mm. and I can tell you that next season it's all going to be about oh City are way behind where they were, City are are deteriorating, they're on the way down. You know, if we don't keep it, because in order to maintain that themselves, they've got to win, I think, 18 out of their first 19 matches or something like that. Which is, you know, I mean, surely teams are going to have some better ideas about how to play against them um, than last season. You know, surely there's got to be a little bit of the league adapting to them as well. Yeah. So it does seem likely 
that they will be behind where they were, that they'll be kind of sure at this point last season, yeah, you know, City Manchester City had yeah, to yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. and which will look really bad if, if, for instance, they have like a, a normal sort of three game spell where they play badly and get two draws and a defeat, you know, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, of course. Now, um, so he said, that's going to happen. Like, I know they're saying, oh, how proud are you? You must be delighted to have so many points and goals and records. And he's saying, I know the, the only significance of this is that it makes it harder for us next season because everyone's going to be moaning about it. However, I know that it's all bullshit. So, you know, your question is bullshit. The points to total entirely is bullshit. And next season, when you're all going on about this, that's going to be bullshit as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What about um, Tottenham and, and Chelsea? Obviously, Chelsea have changed managers. They did it in a very strange way. Uh, you know, they reported back for preseason training with, with Antonio Conte and then brought brought Sarri in. Um, that must have been really awkward, I'd say, for Conte and the players. Mm. Um, and there's the, the Abramovich side of things as well, isn't there? Because he's no longer in the UK. He's now resident in, in Israel. I'm not sure if that means his connection to London is completely gone, whether he can fly in and out for games oh, or, yeah, he or can, he can, whatever. Um, but Yeah, he, he's... He, He's welcome to come. He, I think he can pretty much be in the UK as much as he likes. The question, though, would be more to do with well, if I'm if I'm uh, if I'm investing billions, you know, investing mm. uh, billions into this into this city, you know, why should I do that if yeah. apparently I'm persona non grata now? That's not how things used to be. And I mean, the, the significant thing with Chelsea was was saying, oh well, our stadium isn't going to happen now. Thank yeah. you so much for that. So they've shelved the whole stadium plan, which was which was a massive. Redevelopment, yeah, and uh, you know, just a couple of weeks after Abramovich, um, it, or, or after it was in May, I think it was reported that he was taking Israeli citizenship. This was only a couple of weeks after um, it had been reported that the Foreign Office were not renewing uh, his visa, yeah, or, or were kind of like, oh, you know, we'll be taking a closer look at this visa application now. We've just been kind of signing them with a stamp until now, and now it's like he, he obviously didn't like that. Um, and then the stadium thing is cancelled. So I think, well, can- cancelled, you know, put in cult storage could yeah. potentially be revived. Maybe it's leverage in some other negotiation. Who knows? Maybe it's just never going to happen. Um, I mean, it, 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 as, as for what happened with Conte, that shows you um, that I mean, the fact that he was still there at the start of the season is to do with the dispute over the terms of his sacking. You know, he's like, well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going for that. You know, you're gonna have to do a bit better than that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, evidently, he felt he felt quite strongly about it personally because a lot of the time, managers would just say, like, just fuck this, exactly, yeah. just get out of here and get, move on with my life, sort of thing. But it it clearly wasn't like that. Um, you know, and then, then so they hire. Sorry, I don't think they've made it very easy for him with the Conte situation. Mm. Ideally, he would have been earlier because. He's got like a, a similar to Guardiola, like a whole way of playing that he wants to um, teach the squad, and it's radically different from anything they've ever done before at Chelsea. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, Chelsea have only made one effort, as far as I can see, to move away from the basic template that Mourinho laid down in two thousand and four which was signing Villas-Boas. Yeah, and playing that 
High Line. High Line. Yeah. Yeah, I still remember John Terry scrambling around after Robin Van Persie. Oh, I, I mean, do too. Yeah, you don't, want, you don't want Robin Van Persie, you know, streaking past you like a hare, you know, <laughs> into 40 yards of open space. Something's gone badly wrong, but that's happening. I, I want that. To, well, I did want that kind of thing to happen. What about Tottenham? Um, they haven't signed anyone yet, which is <coughs> quite weird. Um, the new stadium is not ready. They're going to play their first games at Wembley. The one player they appear to be trying to get is Jack, Jack Grealish from Aston Villa, uh, you know, who's a decent player, but um, I'm not sure will make a huge impact on, on the top four or at top four level. Uh, I mean, it's hard to look beyond the fact that the stadium is, is taking a bite out of what the club is willing to, to spend. Uh, well, it must be. I mean, that's Pochettino. I think was talking about just the other day, saying um, you can't compare us to other teams who are who are spending on their team. We're spending on our stadium, um, uh, which supposedly sort of spirals. The cost of it spiraled and spiraled. And yeah, you sort of you know when something kind of increases in price by like half a billion pounds, you you do end up looking at it thinking, is this on what basis does this still make sense? You yeah. know I mean? it's, it's like half a billion is quite a lot. I never quite understood what they were trying to do with, you know, building a 60,000-seater stadium. Tottenham. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I get it from the point of view that I guess the plan um, was to build the club to the point where it was a Champions League club, build a new stadium, make it a very valuable-looking asset for somebody to come along and then say, yes, I will spend... X amount of money on this, but when you factor in the cost of the stadium yeah. uh, and the impact that that might then have on the team, I think you know uh, it might go underappreciated how Arsene Wenger kept Arsenal in the top four while moving to a new stadium, using players that, when you look back on them now, perhaps uh, weren't uh, as good as people thought at the time, yeah. and people didn't think some of those players were that good at the time either. Mm. Um, and then the challenge of staying competitive and also hanging on to the best players that they have, in particular Harry Kane, who could become the new Matt Letizia mm. in a way, mm. you know, loyal to the club that he, he plays for, but passing up the opportunity to actually achieve things in his career because he hasn't moved on. World Cup Golden Boot isn't enough here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt Letizia didn't have the level of recognition that Harry Kane at least enjoys. Like, uh, he has, you know, I don't think playing for Spurs has held him back in the sense of people saying Harry Kane is the best English striker, for instance. Sure. Whereas, whereas Matt Letizia was the best English attacking midfielder who would play for Southampton and nobody was interested well, was if he that, played for Manchester United everyone was like Matt Letizia of course English Cantona. of course but like you know was it to, maybe to do with the, the the media side of things as well back then the coverage of the game and, and what have you that didn't necessarily get Letizia the recognition that yeah. he deserved but I mean, the, the, the problem Tottenham are going to have is has been coming down the line for a while and it is the, the it's the gap between what their players earn and players of comparable or lesser ability earn elsewhere yeah I mean they all I'm sure have had the chance to find out how much Kyle Walker is making now in Manchester City that's Premier League champion Kyle Walker yeah um, and how he's really moved on with his life you know and Spurs was great and it, you know he'll always cherish those times but you know 
you, you can't uh, you can't hang around the, in the sort of playground forever. You know, mm. it's not. You know, at some point you must grow up and put away childish things, treble your income, and win the Premier League. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then there's all the agents because, like Harry Kane, for instance, is like he always seems to be like I want to stay with Tottenham. He, it's like the opposite of. I mean, did Van Persie at any point ever say? Oh, I think it would be better to win the trophies with Arsenal before he reneged and and turned around, turned around. I mean, this whole little boy the thing little that Ramsey <laughs> came out with, you know. Yeah, yeah. But you know, in in hindsight, Van Persie could have won the Premier League if he stayed at Arsenal. You know, that could have happened. It in was 20, in twenty fourteen. I think it's more likely that it could have happened with Arsenal than it's going to happen for Harry Kane with Tottenham. Yeah, I mean, there isn't. Certainly, if you're if you're Kane, you're you're looking at it now and thinking, okay, there's nobody has nobody really has come in. Mm. I mean, I think Greedish is is actually a very good player. Mm. Greedish could be a, an excellent signing, um, but it's not like they've done what Liverpool have done. You know, Liverpool have gone, okay, here, you know, we're, we've improved our midfield, we've improved our defense, we've improved our goalkeeper, mm. we've got like an extra option in attack. Okay, mm. I mean, you can't really do more than that. Tottenham, none of that. All the agents, remember how much agents make from players moving clubs as well. Yeah. Harry Kane's always said, no, you know, I want to stay with Tottenham. And I really like that attitude. I think it's it's much better to have players think that, to even if it's like delusional optimism, I can do it here. You know, because it's it's a very ambitious thing to, to say, to, to think that I can win the Premier League for Tottenham. I can sort of do what Alan Shearer did for Blackburn. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's kind of that yeah. that level of ambition. Um, and it's it's a more difficult road than to go, all right, well, now that, I've, now that I've established myself as like the top English striker, do I join Manchester United or do I join Manchester City or maybe, you know, you know, it's not like... Mm. Um, that's kind of been the traditional thing that that players players normally do. Mm. So I like the fact that Kane's is is different, but I do wonder how long it's going to be because while he can sort of say, "Look, this is this is what I want to do. And I, this is this is I, this is just the way I want to do things," um, and I and I believe that we can do it at Tottenham. He might think that himself, and that could be very a very strong conviction. If tested one way, that is in the face of repeated Tottenham frustrations. But if tested another way, it could actually suddenly prove quite vulnerable. I think it's it's vulnerable in the sense that if it ever gets into Harry Kane's head that he's carrying Daniel Levy, Daniel Levy's business operation on his back, that he's being exploited to that he's being underpaid, you know, underrewarded in order to help Tottenham's board fatten up the club for sale. Yeah. Like, so they're drawing his life essence, right? <laughs> they're it, they're suckling like, from the teat of Harry Kane. Yeah, he's like Boxer in Animal Farm or, you know, <laughs> the Oscar Wilde story about the Nightingale. You know, he, he's like uh, making the, the white rose red with his heart's blood. Sure. You know, and, and then all they're going to do after that is throw him away on the rubbish heap. Or send him off to the glue factory mm. because, like, he served his purpose. Now, that's the kind of thing that really would start to play in a, on someone's mind, you know. And yeah. that's exactly what all the agents would be saying, Harry. You know, Harry, you've only got one you're career. Get, you're getting ridden rock solid here. Harry. <laughs> you're getting ridden. <laughs> you know, these guys. I can't believe. You know, I just, I just can't believe you put up with being treated that way, Harry. Yeah. You know, 
the combination of that and the knowledge that you could make three times as much money somewhere else and probably win more stuff. Yeah. It's if you think you're taken advantage of. Like the bond between the Tottenham brothers could last. Like it's, it's, there's nothing stronger in the world than, you know, all for one and one for all until someone gets the idea that they're getting cheated. Yeah. And that's what happened with, with Alderweireld. He's like, I'm being cheated here. I'm not. I, I should be getting paid a lot more. I'm running out of time to become the incredibly wealthy man I, I've, I've always dreamed of being. Danny Rose as well. He went very public about <laughs> it, didn't he? Yeah, but you know, I, I can, you can sort of see their point. Like yeah. they're, they're like they're they're among the best players in their position in the league. Why shouldn't they? Mm-hmm. You know, why, why shouldn't they? And and there's sort of, and then the problem that Levy has, in my opinion. The, the last accounts showed that he was the best paid person at the club. Yeah, we're earning like six, he six and a half million pounds or something. Way more than any other um, director in his position. Now, you can make arguments as to why that is. You know, well, there's there's back pay involved and certain bonuses, you know, targets were met and, and so on and so forth. But it's all, it comes down to a headline fact that you're the best paid man at this club. Mm. The, the guy in the suit. Yeah. Well, who's the, who's the real Galactico here? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. So that's... That's, I think, corrosive to the team spirit that Tottenham need. They could, they could pull this thing off, but that is just corrosive. Once people start to think, "Hang on, I'm doing a lot more than I'm doing more than my share," and I'm not getting, mm. you know, that's it could blow up very quickly. Uh, and there's a, there's a few players I think who were in that position, so they've kept a lid on it really well so far. But you know. Just the richer Kyle Walker gets, yeah, the harder it must become. Yeah, and the more he wins. Um, couple of quick things very finally do you see anybody as a surprise package anybody from outside last season's top six making a, an inroad into into that half half of the table that area of the table is there a team you think that could make that breakthrough uh, I mean what about Everton as I was thinking uh, I was thinking Everton um, I mean I do I mean, you know Marco Silva just had such a weird career yeah it's in odd, the Premier League yeah at this point but he has had at least a couple of months at both Hull and at Watford where it looked as though he really knew what he was about Mm. Uh, you'd have to imagine that they'll improve from last season Mm. Um, but as to whether I mean I think the big thing everyone are waiting for is to see what okay what's going to happen now with Usmanov is he going to I think he said yesterday, well, I certainly said to David Kahn in the, uh, of The Guardian that he wasn't going to reinvest in Everton. But his, his former business partner, um, Moshiri, is yeah. 49.9% owner there. I would be, be kind of surprised if he didn't. Yeah. But, of course, there are the various factors. You've got to wonder why it was he, he sold up at Arsenal. Was it because he just had had enough? You know, Kroenke had waited him out long enough. Whether it's to do with the uh, the climate involving Russian businessmen in the UK, mm. whether it's to do with just taking a profit and uh, and that's it, or whether he does want to reinvest in in another club. There was talk about him actually investing in AC Milan a couple of months ago as well. Mm. So I don't think that's the case now that they've got this um, this hedge fund out there. But it would be a kind of a surprise to me if he didn't, having been so impotent at Arsenal to have sat there for six or seven or eight years whatever it is and having 30% of the club and having no representation and not being on the board and you know being the second biggest shareholder at a big club like Arsenal Mm. it must be kind of 
uh, emasculating for a guy who normally gets what he wants whenever well, he how wants. Much, how much money did he clear on this Arsenal transaction? A few hundred million, I think. Yeah. You know, because it was. I think he bought in at twelve or fourteen thousand, something like that. And you know, the the, the offer from Kroenke was twenty nine thousand, twenty nine and a half thousand per share. You know, and say so he feels too emasculated. No, probably not. But I just mean from a from the. It's, I don't think it's a financial thing. I think it's yeah. just. Uh, you know why do why do these guys get involved in football clubs? You know yeah. it's not because Usmanov loved Arsenal. It's not because Stan Kroenke loved Arsenal. They get involved because a it's business to an extent. But I think mm. there's a certain element of 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 ego and stature and wanting to get uh, yeah. attention and exactly exactly you know. And if you're just sitting there, fucking in the corner. It's like being at a party and like everybody's having a good time over there and you're just sitting outside the yeah. door and you're not allowed in. Yeah. You know, because I own fucking 30% of this fucking party. No, you still can't yeah. come in because I own more than you and, and you can't. So, you know, to to just sort of slink away into, into nothingness yeah. from a footballing point of view would surprise me. So, I w- you know, I wouldn't be at all shocked if... Yeah, I mean, because he sponsored the training ground and everything, yeah. which was a weird thing. You know, the you know one of his companies sponsored the Everton training ground. So yeah. I feel like the links are there. It would be easy for him to to rock up, you know. And I think you know when when a when a billionaire says no, I'm not doing this. I don't necessarily believe him. Yeah, you know, he said he wasn't going to sell his Arsenal shares, and, and he did. There, there he goes. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know. That could, I mean, he is, he's one of the richest men in the world. It could uh, really change things for mm. Everton. Um, but, you know, okay, it's probably not going to affect the season. But you do look at them and think, all right, they have got some... I mean, Richarlison was very good for Watford when Marco Silva was the manager. Yeah. Uh, That's a lot of money, wasn't it, for that? Or is it these days? It's, it's hard to tell. tell. It's like, it's everything just seems to have multiplied so... I mean, if Richarlison was transferred between two Premier League clubs in 1998 for five million, would you think that was outrageous? In 1998, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, still, maybe. Still a touch on the high side. More still of a three a and a half million player. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You uh, know, I mean, what did he get? Eleven goals or twelve goals? I don't know what you know. Yeah, nothing, nothing really in the second half of the season. Yeah. Um, so it was really on the strength of a half season that they bought him, but. I mean, the manager does know him. I mean, maybe West Ham? I don't know. I mean, can West Ham? No, West Ham are structurally... Is it too too dysfunctional from the top uh, down? Why am I expecting West Ham, you know, under Manuel Pellegrini to suddenly be much better? Yeah. I don't know. It's um, Wolves are the kind of wild card. They are, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, because... George, George Mendes is Wolves. It's happening here, you know, so... How good are these guys going to be is remains to be seen. So, mm. yeah, there's, there's a few. There's nobody really who you can say, I believe this team have a good chance of getting into the top four. No, there, the, uh, that still hasn't happened. Right. I mean, you wouldn't have said it before Leicester won the league either, but... True. So, I guess it could happen, but... Well, hopefully. Well, maybe we'll get a surprise. Um, so, just finally, g- g- give me your top four predictions. Putting you on the spot slightly, but uh, I'll go Man City, uh, Liverpool. Um, then it gets really difficult. It does, doesn't it? Because it's so. I mean, if up in the air at all of them, you know, Manchester United. I don't expect to be good, but they did finish second, and they've 
you know, feel good last season. Either, if, yeah. if they were to sort of chug on the same way they did last season, then then they should finish in the top four. But mm. you sort of think, are they going to? Is that going to happen? It could take a nosedive. Then it could. Then it could actually improve. Mm. The nosedive is required. Uh, Arsenal, you don't know how they're going to be. Chelsea, you've no idea how they're going to be. I mean, at least it looks like Hazard is still going to be playing for them. Um, primarily, I think, because he hasn't been good enough to win the move that he wants. Yeah. You know? It's like he he's in a position of never having quite played well enough to convince Real Madrid or Barcelona or any of the type of clubs that he might want to play for that he's worth the money that they would have to pay. Yeah, yeah. But he's in, an, he's in a good situation now, which is that he's got a manager who previously converted a similar type of player, but not as good as him, Dries Mertens, into a 30-goal-a-season wonder player. Yeah, yeah. And two years left in his contract, such that if he does manage to have a 30-goal wonder season, he'd be cheap for whoever wants to sign him next summer. So, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it's enough to... To, for me to think that Chelsea and Chelsea have got also Kante you know Jorginho David Luiz is now playing for them again <laughs> I don't know who their goalkeeper is going to be yet um, they're after some guy from Keeper. Athletic Cape, Cape, Bilbao is it? yeah Cape, so he's hmm, um, a young goalkeeper I mean he was in the Spanish World Cup squad uh, but they were talking what 80 million yeah something like that yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty nuts. It's bonkers. But so it's guesswork really between positions three and four, isn't it? I mean going on the squads, you'd have to favour Manchester United and Chelsea ahead of Arsenal and Tottenham, I think. Right. I mean Tottenham did finish third last season. Mm. And it's not to say the squad has really changed, but maybe they needed to change a bit more than they have in order to keep the yeah, impression of forward momentum because last season was the first time it well, hadn't been as good as the season before yeah. since they've had um, Pochettino there you know so the, you don't want that sense of oh this we're not really going anywhere although you know the, the stadium is surely going to make it's, it's, you never know with the stadium either it's like oh we've moved to a new stadium and everyone hates it it's got no atmosphere and it doesn't feel like home well, I mean Wenger said that about the, the, the Emirates he said it takes like a couple of seasons to just to get used to playing there because they're like at Highbury whether it's conscious or subconscious you have the sight lines and you know where you are in the pitch and yeah. you know you get used to your surroundings your peripheral vision takes a while to get used to yeah, yeah. to a new stadium so well you know it couldn't be it must be better than Wembley, surely. So, sure. And they did okay at Wembley. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I I can't. I'll I'll go on the basis of squads. Manchester United and Chelsea in the top four ahead of Arsenal and Tottenham. All right. Well, well, we'll see what happens. We better leave it there because we have been talking for a while and you probably have uh, things to do today. So we'll catch up during the season. I hope. And uh, thanks for being here as always. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much indeed to Ken Early. You can find him on the always excellent Second Captains podcast. Uh, You'll get that in your favourite podcasting app or for more details, check out secondcaptains.com. Follow Ken on Twitter as well. He is at Ken Early's. Uh, this is the first of two preseason podcasts here on Arsblog, and by the time you finish listening to this one, there will be another one. It's a more Arsenal-centric preview of the new season, looking at where we are, what we've done this summer, how ready we are for the new season, all the, the hopes 
hopes and dreams and optimism as well as the, the fears and concerns that we might have as well. So that's ready for you to download and listen to to get some more Arsecast goodness in your ears uh, before this uh, before this new season begins. As ever, thank you very much indeed for listening. Really appreciate it. Catch you on the next one, which I've just told you about. So, so go listen to that, will you? Thanks. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.